host Gino Boost from GameMusicForAll.com, and you're listening to another episode of the Subcon Video Game Hip Hop Podcast. That's right, the only podcast where you can hear all my thoughts about video games, as well as a ton of awesome video game inspired hip hop music. We kicked things off on this week's episode with a mashup of Kendrick Lamar's All Right versus music from Final Fantasy VII, and that mashup was dropped in 2015 by Freddie Todd. Uh, you could grab that awesome uh, single and all of Freddie Todd's other music by checking out the show notes. Just head over to gamemusicforall.com slash subcon and you could find links to all the music played in this week's episode. This week we're talking about Parappa which celebrates its 20th anniversary on December 6th. The game originally came out in 1996 for the Sony PlayStation by Sony Computer Entertainment and Masaya Matsura and his company Nana Onsha. And Parappa the Rapper is the definition of a original, brightly colored, cartoonish, Japan-developed niche title that created a brand new genre of games. My favorite kind of game. Well, in Japan it was anything but niche. I mean, it sold nearly a million copies in its first year in Japan alone, and spawned an anime series and multiple soundtracks. Matsura, creator of the game, considers himself a niche guy, at least according to interviews with Chris Kohler from Power Up. So that's all the objective confirmation I need to consider this a niche title. Even if it is a niche title that sold so well in Japan that it became the de facto mascot of the PlayStation 1. So one of the most original things about the game is the fact that there's no horrific final villain that has to be confronted to save the world from evil at the end of this game. All Parappa wants to do is learn how to rap, learn some karate, get his driver's license, and perform a concert to impress a flower. That flower being the girl he has a crush on. But don't let the uh, low stakes sounding story uh, fool you because once you get to the final stage in a Parappa or Umjammer game, it's still incredibly epic. Uh, The final stage consists of performing a concert which is a great way to feel like there's a clear culmination of all the work you've spent mastering the music of earlier levels so every little uh, guitar riff or rap line they throw at you you're already prepared for and you just have to perform your ass off just like you've always wanted but even more original than the story is the fact that Parappa the Rapper is the first rhythm game ever. Now, there's been other games where you could create music and play instruments and just kind of multimedia type affairs, but Parappa the Rapper was the first game where you had to perform music in order to clear the level and continue the game. And the quality at which you perform the music would 
have an actual in-game effect as all your fans start leaving and all your friends stop dancing and you go from good to bad to awful until finally they just can't stand it anymore and they just stop you from playing feel bad just thinking about it they said I should be banned from every game every game well to put this in a little more perspective Parappa came out before long before Guitar Hero or Rock Band were even a twinkle in their developers eyes uh, even before Dance Dance Revolution or Beat Mania were developed by Konami I mean this game is 20 years old now and not only was it the first rhythm game it was the first rhythm game to have feature a full hip-hop soundtrack I'm not sure if there were other video games with hip-hop soundtracks uh, before Parappa so I can't claim it's the first hip-hop soundtrack ever but it's definitely the most popular hip-hop soundtrack in video games I'm pretty sure plenty of actual non-cartoon dog rappers have said kick punch in a line or two. And as an aside, while we're on the subject of Parappa the Rapper, I'd just like to state that it is not called Parappa the Rapper. It is not called Parappa the Rappa. It's called Parappa the Rapper. And since this is a podcast I can't even bring up all the grammatical errors um, like I said this game is incredibly colorful so you can't talk about the Parappa series without talking about the colorful surreal art of Rodney Greenblatt putting these paper thin characters in a 3d world created an incredibly surreal look and if it, that wasn't crazy enough there are so many uh, little oddities and oddball drawings that just keep you staring at the screen for so long trying to make sense of it all. And especially when you're playing the game, it's hard to see everything that's going on. So when I watch friends play the game for the first time, I'm still noticing weird little things going on in the background that I never noticed when I'm trying to lay down some dope rhymes or blister my way through another guitar solo. And because of the incredible artwork, the Parappa series, Parappa 1, Um Jammer, and then Parappa 2 could all do great with a serious HD facelift and bring out all the shine on the great artwork in this game. Also, for a great story about the history of Parappa the Rapper getting made, uh, check out Chris Kohler's book Power Up, which has a cool little chapter that taught me all about the history of Parappa. Now let's talk about my history with the games. Uh, the first time I played uh, Parappa, it was a demo that came somehow with the PlayStation. There were just demos everywhere for the PlayStation for a while. Uh, it was good times if you couldn't afford video games. I played the first level of so many PlayStation games. Uh, anyway, I played the demo of Parappa, and it was pretty cool. Kind of difficult. I couldn't quite get the rhythm of the game from the first level. But unfortunately, I never had the money to get the game, and I knew of no other person that owned it. So 
I never really gave it a try at the time. Uh, but fast forwarding to 1999 when Um Jammer Lammy came out, I had, of course, played the demo of that game as well on the PlayStation, and it was very awesome. And eventually, I was able to play the full version of the game, which became and has remained one of my favorite games on the original PlayStation. A little oddity I noticed back then was that they had changed the lyrics in the demo where Chop Chop Master Onion refers to going to hell, and in the full game, he said you would go to an island instead of hell, and I'm not going to open that can of worms right now. Maybe for Um Jammer Lammy's 20th anniversary. That's coming soon. Uh, um Jammer probably remains my favorite of the Parappa series. Mostly because it has the highest nostalgia factor. If we're going on gameplay though, I'm pretty sure Parappa the Rapper 2 for the PlayStation 2 is the most playable game definitely the funnest to actually play through because I think they had a great understanding of the timing for the raps that they learned from the previous two games in the series. So I think Parappa the Rapper 2 plays the best, uh, even if it's not as memorable as the first two games. A lot of Parappa 2 feels like a retread of the original and since we're all used to the graphics by now, it didn't feel like as much of a intense and original and clear-cut weird title like the original did. But it was still a great game, I think. There's a lot of talk about food in the game. A lot of noodles. Noodles can't be beat. I mentioned earlier that there were a bunch of... Parappa and Um Jammer soundtracks that came out independent of the video game. And there are just some heartbreakingly terrible Parappa rap albums that were released in Japan. Uh, maybe someday I'll get around to showing you what I mean. But this is a day to celebrate Parappa, so I will not bring down the mood with that malarkey. Instead, we're going to hear an awesome Parappa the Rapper 2 remix by Rob KTA. Two things I could always use more of are great Parappa remixes and great music by Rob KTA. So make sure you check the show notes. If you want those things as well, you could grab them over at gamemusicforall.com slash subcon and click on all those beautiful blue music links. This track is called Romantic Plastic Love V-Day 016 Edit.
Welcome back. You just heard a super chill mashup of 90s R&B sounds, courtesy of Virgo Williams, mixed with music from Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and that wonderful fusion was brought to us by Emeralds, and honestly, if there's anything we need more of, it's 90s R&B video game mashups. The Legend of Zelda, Destiny's Child, TLC, X, Final Fantasy. That's what I want to hear. Anyway, be sure to check the show notes at gamemusicforall.com slash subcon to find a link to that awesome track and tons of other great Emeralds music. Now it's time to talk about Game Music For All itself. I just want to talk about, so we're all on the same page, the current schedule of posts for Game Music For All. I do a new video game music album post every Monday and Thursday, so if you think you can keep up, I got two new albums for you every single week. Every other Tuesday over on YouTube.com slash Game Music For All. I post a new video. They could be Let's Play videos, video reviews of games and music, or my personal favorite, lengthy but hilarious diatribes about obscure video games. If you're like me and you still prefer the written word over fancy videos and talkative podcasts, Uh, Once a month, every fourth Tuesday, I'll be posting a feature-length article about both classic and obscure video games. And most importantly for fans of this podcast here, I'll be posting a new episode every other Wednesday if you haven't caught on to that schedule yet. So be sure to get hype. For every second Wednesday of the week when a new subcon podcast goes live to the GameMusicForAll.com website. And if you really can't get enough of how often I talk, I also have the Bystanders podcast which has a new episode every Saturday where we discuss movies, television, video games, and whatever we happen to be doing that week. But make sure to check out GameMusicForAll.com regularly because I'm always posting new articles, album reviews, uh, video game song discussions, and plenty of other stuff. Which brings me to the fact that the website has undergone a slight redesign. I have now made the website easier to navigate for folks on mobile phones. I've updated the layout to display all the latest content, whether video, audio, or written. I've put a stronger focus on videos, podcasts, and my feature-length articles. I've added a brand new archive layout for folks that really want to dig deep. And I've also updated the podcast page for this here podcast. So head over to gamemusicforall.com slash subcon. So check it out please all right now what we've all been waiting for what has carried me through this entire podcast so that i can finally talk about what i want to talk about and that is the nintendo switch 
formerly the Nintendo NX. After months and months of people speculating, not me, because I didn't care, um, Nintendo's pretty tight-lipped, and they really seem to have a thing for if someone finds out Nintendo's secret, they have to like add more secrets, so then they could be like, ah, you thought that was a secret, and yes, that may be true, but that wasn't actually the secret, because this is the secret. Nintendo secrets. So, the Nintendo Switch is finally revealed in a three and a half minute commercial trailer. Now I have to spend a lot of time breaking down all of my feelings about the next Nintendo console. So let's talk about the trailer itself first. One thing a lot of people noticed, I didn't actually notice because these are the sorts of things I never notice. Everyone in the commercial is like a young adult and the games they showed off, Skyrim, basketball game, Mario, Zelda, not to mention showing off Splatoon like it's the most incredible esports game ever invented. One thing I did notice in the commercial though is that everyone who has an NX, I'm sorry, everyone who has a Nintendo Switch uh, also has a big bag with them that they can carry the Nintendo Switch in. You don't see nobody putting it in their pocket, but that leads me to prediction number one. I think that after two or three years of the Nintendo Switch, we're gonna get a DS-looking clamshell-designed Nintendo Switch, which is built specifically for folks who want a portable system. That's my first prediction. Make a note of it. One thing that was exciting though, but I don't know quite enough about it to be really excited, is the multiplayer options. Now they made it look real easy. The scene where a guy and his chums stop their basketball game to play a game of basketball. You can see that they are both playing the same game on two different screens and it looks like the system's connected as simple or even simpler than a DS or 3DS does. Which wonderful if true, but it looks like a bit of commercial magic because I just can't see it being that easy. And speaking of basketball game, this is prediction number two. I know 2K is signed up to work on the Nintendo Switch and a port of NBA 2K is the most likely scenario, but I will go out on a limb and say that Nintendo is at work on their own sports game again. Back in the N64 days and early GameCube days, Nintendo released a few baseball games and a few basketball games, which came out to moderate success. But unfortunately, the arena has been left to the folks at 2K Games for just about damn near everything. I won't go as far out on a limb as saying Nintendo will make a basketball game. All these licensing issues these days. Something to think about when you're carrying your Nintendo Switch around everywhere in your backpack, jostling around, bumping and everything, is how durable is that controller screen? If you're on the go and that thing hits the floor and it cracks just as easy as your phone, nah, that's, that's a sad day. And I can't imagine Nintendo would ever let something go into production that is that easily breakable. 
Um, I've had nieces and nephews drop every single one of my controllers, knocking things over and dropping games. And that Nintendo stuff is still ticking. I still have an original Super Nintendo from the early 90s. Still have my Wii. Still have my N64 from 96. And they're all humming along. And I don't expect anything less of the Nintendo Switch once it's been sitting around for a couple years in my living room. And this is a minor aside uh, because I haven't really seen that many people doing this. But there's always a small contention of people every time a new electronic device is announced who just simply complains about how terrible the name is. Now, there are reasons for a name to be terrible, like consumer confusion, like the Wii and Wii U. But generally, most electronic devices have terrible names. The iPod, the PlayStation, the Dreamcast. These are all fairly ridiculous names. The only difference is if something's a success, we're going to say it in our everyday lives if it's not even a thing. PlayStation, PlayStation, PlayStation. But if it's a big flop, we snicker at the name and think how ridiculous that they thought this would sell. Like the Newton and the Wii U. And if you didn't like the name Nintendo Switch, what do you want to call it? I mean, you could call it the Nintendo 7 if you want to be like PlayStation. Or you could call it the Nintendo 1, I guess, if you want to be like Xbox. Uh, you could call it the Nintendo Wii U Us. The Wii U All. Wii U Them. You could call it the Omega Nintendo Entertainment System. Wait, oh, I actually like that last one. Moving on, there are twice as many developers working on this Nintendo system at Nintendo. So there aren't folks that only work on handheld games, and there aren't folks that only work on console games. Now everybody works on the same games in Nintendo, and I'm really excited for what that could mean because the production costs of developing for the Wii U and the Nintendo 3DS has really slowed down Nintendo's ability to release games in a timely manner. That coupled with the fact that the Wii U has lost basically all of its third-party support aside from indie games. Well, that's pretty much the story of the Wii U's failure. Um, another complaint I saw online was tiny controllers. Um, the, you can use the control, basically you can cut the controllers in half and use them as tiny little sideways controllers. Imagine an even smaller Wiimote with a kind of funky button layout. I'm pretty sure the controllers work on Bluetooth, so I'm pretty sure most, if not all, Wii and Wii U controllers will also work for the NX. And the tiny controllers are only for multiplayer anyway. You'd have to buy a second controller if you wanted to play with your friends anyway, you big baby. So invest in another controller then. But the fact that these controllers are so small made me realize, are the small controllers of the NES Mini, which comes out in time for Christmas, actually a secret ploy to prepare our hands for the small controllers of the Nintendo Switch? Think about it. And what about the 3DS? We know that the Nintendo Switch will be 
replacing the Wii U as the latest Nintendo console beneath your TV. But what about the 3DS? As my initial claim earlier, I'm expecting a clamshell designed version of the Switch, which will appeal to 3DS owners. Something that hasn't been getting a lot of talk during the initial rounds of Nintendo Switch coverage are the actual cartridges that the game uses. Since the system is portable, it was a great idea to switch off of CDs and back to cartridge media. The cartridges themselves look like two DS cartridges stacked on top of each other. But the fact that cartridges are being used at all uh, raises some questions. First and foremost is the fact that is backwards compatibility completely out the window? I mean, there's no disk drive, so there's nowhere to put your GameCube games or your Wii games or your Wii U games. Will Nintendo allow you to move stuff from your Wii U hard drive to the NX? That remains to be seen, but it seems that physical copies of Nintendo games are definitely out the window. The game case now closes atop the game, rendering it nice and snug within the system itself. Unlike the DS or 3DS where sometimes that shit just pops out and flies across the room. And then the fact that it's a tablet has all sorts of implications for mobile gaming. So let's get this out of the way first. I do believe that the Nintendo Switch has a touchscreen. And I think it's going to be a touchscreen more in line of the dual touch abilities of standard tablets these days. Which is why we did not see a stylus anywhere on the controller. I'm pretty sure they left out the touchscreen controls because they wanted to show that this is a serious, hardcore home console that plays all of the calls of duties and all of the sky's rims and all of the baskets, balls. So you don't want people tapping on the screen and playing fucking Angry Birds on it. So the fact that there is a touchscreen implies that you will be able to play Nintendo's mobile games on their specific mobile device. So the fact that it's a tablet with a touchscreen begs the question, will Nintendo release their mobile games on the Nintendo Switch? My prediction, prediction number three I think we're on, is that this is very, very likely. But the fact that Nintendo will release their mobile games to the Switch begs the question, will the Nintendo Switch have an app store similar to the iTunes Store or Google Play? Of course, Nintendo will still have the eShop and likely you can buy their mobile games as well as all their other games through the eShop. But does Nintendo have any plans to make the eShop more inclusive? To open it up to more developers like the Google Play Store and the iTunes Store have. So not only would games be on there, but also apps for things like ESPN or streaming services. And even crazier, what if Nintendo decides to port either the Apple iTunes Store or the Google Play Store to the Nintendo Switch? Considering Nintendo has already made a big deal with Apple to release the first Super Mario mobile game on their system first, then there is a very outside chance that 
the iTunes Store will be available for the Nintendo Switch. Now, hear me out. Nintendo is already working with Apple to create games for the latest Apple iPhone. I don't know what number it's on. And we all know Apple loves the fact that they're able to control the hardware and the OS for all of their applications. Now, if Nintendo is the only company, of course, making Nintendo Switch tablets, then Apple knows for sure the architecture of that system and that the architecture in that system is not going to change. Therefore, they can make an iTunes store which would run just as well on the Nintendo Switch as it would on any Apple-developed device. Now, this is not a prediction because this is really dreaming big. Seeing the console and seeing the concept is only one-third of the battle now. Yes, I want to play it. Yes, I'm going to buy it because it plays Mario Kart. Will I play anything other than Mario Kart on it? Will I do anything else with the console? And that remains to be seen. If we consider this the first pillar, the actual design of the console, then the second pillar would be the video games. Of course, you it's probably it's a very strong pillar. You could have the most inexpensive, most powerful console, but without games, you ain't got nothing. And this third pillar that has arisen is the OS on the game console. And this is Nintendo's greatest stumbling block. And for the sake of this discussion, I'll include online play as part of the OS because simple and direct and easy to get into online play is incredibly important in this day and age, especially with those hardcore gamers who are always playing basketball and having rooftop parties, I guess. So without an easy-to-navigate OS, which lets me play online games easily, which lets me add and talk to my friends easily on the system, which allows me to stream videos like Hulu and Netflix. For some reason, I never do that on my consoles, but apparently people do. And also to make it simple to purchase games online. Nintendo online stores have come a long way since the incredibly crummy DSiWare. Then we moved up to the equally crummy Nintendo eShop. But finally, with the 3DS and the Wii U, we get something approximating a quality eShop experience. And hopefully they continue to improve upon that. But until we get a nice good look at the OS, um, it's hard to say. But then there's also the issue that most, that most consoles end up getting an update to really change the layout of their menus and design. So even when we get the Nintendo Switch in our hands on launch day, it could look completely different by Christmas 2017 after an update or two because consoles love to update. And with that, we're done talking about the Annex, at least until we get some more news, which won't happen until next year. So I think we're good for now. So while you're twiddling your thumbs and thinking about 
the Nintendo Switch and how much fun you're going to have or not have if you hate it. Maybe you hate it. I don't know. Um, you could spend your time this year reading all the latest articles I've been writing and all the latest videos I've been producing. So head over to GameMusicForAll.com and you could read my latest article about niche DS game Lunar Nights and Konami and Hideo Kojima. I have a clickbait video of my top 5 favorite Nintendo Wii soundtracks to celebrate 10 years of the Nintendo Wii. I also have the beginning of my Legend of Zelda Link to the Past series. Uh, If you want a hilarious look back at Link to the Past, better head over to GameMusicForAll.com and soak it in. If you didn't get enough Parappa talk on this episode, I've got a Parappa the Rapper article dropping on December 6th, the 20-year anniversary of Parappa, in case you forgot. And then I've also got an upcoming Mario Kart 64 article. Get hype about that, because I'm talking about Mario Kart. No more obscure racing games like Top Gear Rally and Rally X for me. We're talking about the most famous racing game of all time. Mario Kart. Alright, so let's get into the background music for this week's episode. To kick things off on this episode, we heard from DJ Craig, who makes a guest appearance on Urban Flow's Melodic Bumps Volume 5 with his track, Have a Good Night. That was followed up by a little mix of Parappa the Rapper instrumentals composed by Messiah Matsura, the composer of the Parappa the Rapper and Um Umjammer Lamy series. First we heard Instructor Mussolini's rap from the original Parappa the Rapper. Then we heard Hair Scare and Stage Select Music Box Melody, both from Parappa the Rapper 2. I decided to go with Hair Scare because even though I did not play any um Jammer Lammy based uh, music in the background, even though it's very, very fantastic music. Uh, the track Hair Scare from Parappa the Rapper 2 has a lot of little nods to the music from Um Jammer Lammy, so I thought it was a good mix of the two. Coming back from the break, we heard an instrumental remix of the beat behind Nas's If I Ruled the World. And that remix is by Shaka Zulu from his album Press Play, which you could find over on his SoundCloud page. As always, check the show notes over at gamemusicforall.com slash subcon for links to all of the amazing music on this episode. After that, we heard a track called Zora Life by Certified Beats, and that's from a remix compilation dedicated to Legend of Zelda known as Leyenda de Verde. Next we heard Game Over by BNAP, another SNES beat from his album SNES Beats Volume 3. Then we heard from Natsu Fuji, his track Shooting Star from his latest album Outer Space. Then we heard from a pair of my favorite latest OC remixes. First up was Aqua Wave, a remix of music from Donkey Kong Country by Paul Hadame via Overclocked Remix, of course. Then we heard Turkish Coffee, a Spelunky remix by Gabe 
Terracciano and Schnabubula. And the music you're hearing in the background now is from the same album that we opened things with. This one is Urban Flow's track Daydreaming Part 3 from Melodic Bumps Volume 5. And the ending theme for this week's episode is another one by Masaya Matsura from Parappa the Rapper 2. It's an instrumental of the final stage of the final Parappa the Rapper game. It is Always Love. But before we get into that, we're going to hear one more chill mashup. This time by Shag from his remix album Negative Visualization. Uh, This mashup here combines Tupac with some dope beats by Shag and is the perfect excuse to slip some more Tupac into this podcast. So this has been a great podcast. I've been able to bring back Kendrick Lamar, toss in some more Tupac, and get my 90s R&B fix. Thanks again for listening to the Subcon Podcast and enjoy this final track by Shag known as Nothing Changed, Tupac Version. Riches, quick to socializing with the baddest bitches Went from a bucket to a rag to switches I'm seeing death around the corner I'm pumping glorious Doing 90 cause I wanna I'm getting high like I said it was some chocolate time Mixed in some Indonesia Watch me fry and even though I know the cost behind me Take the weed and up I continue doing 90 Will I get caught? Another ticket, get the kick in and caught Fuck the law, give a shit I'm even worse than before I know they won't see a nigga hurry But I ain't worried, still throwing these things Got me locked in these chains And hey nigga, what the fuck is you wailing about? Soon as I hit the sale, I'll be bailing out And when I hit the streets, I'm in the rush to ball I'm screaming thug like nigga Fuck y'all Thanks for listening to the Subcon Podcast. Please support the show by subscribing to me at patreon.com slash genoboost. Find song links and show notes at gamemusicforall.com slash subcon. Follow me on Twitter at genoboost and Instagram at RetroBitsLA. And of course, you can find the latest video game-based albums at GameMusicForAll.com. You're now leaving Subcon. Yeah, Barapa, was that a party or what? It surely was.